This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Offerman and Jacob Recht with you here on the Steelers Standard, getting you guys set for the Steelers and the Packers Sunday at Lambeau Field, the frozen tundra. How many times have you heard that term? All week long. All week oh long. Oh, my God, these and people. Oct- and what is it going to be, October 3rd, and the temperature is going to be like the f- 60 degrees outside? If it's July 5th and it's 100 degrees in, in Lambeau, it's still the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Two of the most historic franchises, maybe the two most historic franchises Probably. in the entire NFL, doing battle this Sunday, like we said. Steelers going on the road trying to snap a two-game losing streak. Uh, Jacob, it looks more and more likely every day. Again, as a podcast, we don't like to speculate too, too much about the injury report. It's the NFL. Things can change drastically. We saw that in week two when Joe Hayden was out 10 minutes before the game started. Devin Bush was out Exactly. But it really looks like the T.J. Watt train is back on the tracks. It looks like he's going uh, to play in this game on Sunday. And that's much-needed good news for Steelers Nation, especially for that defensive side of the ball. That unit was supposed to be elite this year. It has definitely been less than that in the past two weeks. But I think you have a legitimate excuse when you're missing your best player and several other key players as well. The best player looks, by my account, to be coming back on Sunday, and I really just wonder, does he bring enough of an impact to pull a Buffalo Bills and go on the road and get your second victory this year? I'm waffling a little bit. I'm kind of going back and forth with it. I think he certainly has the Von Miller X factor in him, but part of me, I think, that's waffling is is the offense just so stagnant right now that it really doesn't matter. He could have five sacks with two of them being strip sacks, and it, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Right. Those two strip sacks could come in the 30-yard line in Green Bay territory. Could come in Green Bay's end zone. Like, and, and, and it the still might still not walk matter. away with just a field goal, if that, if unless they possibly turn the ball over as poorly as Ben did in that second interception <laughs> last week against the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I kind of agree with you, Tom. I do think TJ is going to have an impact on the defensive side of the ball. However, I don't think it could be enough to get this offense going. We thought that after last week, or rather after the Raiders game, that was going to be a wake-up call of sorts to say, hey, this offense can do a little more than just that. This offense can really pick it up, and we definitely need to separate ourselves in the AFC North standings because it's going to be a packed race to the top in a packed race for that wild card spot and that's not what happened this past week against the Bengals and so here we are another week again it feels like 20 the end of 2020 all over again where you think okay well that game had to have been the wake-up call right and then you go on and you go out and you play the Cincinnati Bengals and same old crap and here you are facing up against probably the most elite offense right now in the NFL Ignoring the week one performance against the Saints because there has been no better or more no better prolific offense in the NFL right now than the Green Bay Packers that three-headed monster that dates back to 2020 yeah that that three-headed monster between Aaron Rodgers Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams as good as T.J. Watt can be I just don't think that Ben Roethlisberger and company can keep up with those three guys yeah that's what I worry too you know you've heard a lot of the build up after the Bills game and, and trying to fix things after the Raiders lost and now the Bengals lost being, oh, 
the best way for the Steelers team to operate is like those Peyton Manning Broncos where that was just a Von Miller-led defense that carried the day for them and the quarterback just didn't make any mistakes and was extremely cerebral and that's how they won their football games. And I totally understand people proposing that hypothesis because mm-hmm. I agree that that is on paper a great formula to go about this season for the Steelers. I think that the defense when it's healthy is on par with that Denver defense from that season that won a Super Bowl, but I really don't know if the offense, and I'm not just throwing Ben out to dry there. I think it's all encompassing the offense is up to the snuff of even that Denver offense and especially that offensive line. So I think that T.J. Watt can come out here and completely be a game-breaker. And, again, just Bill Murray and Meatballs just doesn't matter. Like, it's just not going to do anything as far as the Steelers pulling off this upset. Now, could it do something against lesser teams? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want people to be sitting here listening to this podcast and be like, oh, Tom, all he thinks is that the Steelers are going to have the terrible offense all year no matter who they play, no matter how great TJ plays, they will have no chance of winning. That's not the case. You know, When they go up against the Bengals again, if TJ wants a game-breaker, they probably could pull that one out. But it's the Packers. It's just a completely different story. It's Aaron Rodgers, potentially the greatest thrower of the football this game has ever seen. It's it's an incredible uphill battle to beat a team like this, even if your defense is elite and clicking on all cylinders, because it's 2021 in the NFL. This isn't the the mid to late 2000 Steelers or Ravens. This isn't the 85 Bears. This isn't the 70 Steelers where you win games only allowing three, ten points. No, great defense. Four shutouts in one year. Great yeah, defenses in today's day and age, they'll still give up 17, 20 points against good teams. It's just impossible to keep these guys out of the end zone for 60 minutes of football. So even though I think the defense plays better this week with T.J. Watt's presence being felt and Aaron having a, a little bit harder of a time out there than he has uh, last week, I'd say, I, I still just don't see – any real reason to be super optimistic that T.J. Watt and that that Steelers defense can carry this day? Yeah, I I think I'm leaning in that direction as well, Tom. It just even if <laughs> see this is a hypothetical for you. Even if the Steelers had that 2008 defense, the 70s defense, how would that defense pair with this offense? I think the 70s defense could probably supplement enough for this offense. But you're looking at me like, uh, I still don't know. Well, here's the thing, too. It's just like, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, but it's a different game than it was in the 70s. It's geared towards offensive players now. So yeah, that's fair. E- even if you have a prolific defense full of monsters like that 70s defense, the league's not going to let you play the style that it needed oh, to, to really not. shut it down. Certainly not. But if you had the equivalent, but I get what you're trying to paint the picture here of. It's like you if can you get them. You can crank. You can take every piece of the '85 Bears, the '70s Steelers, the mid 2000 Ravens, the 2010 Steelers, and you can put them all into like a, a mixing bowl and come out with the 11th best players from all of those teams. And that defense still might not be good enough to buoy this kind of offense that we're seeing right now. Yeah, it it really does frustrate you because these last three years, Tom, dating back to. Even going back and forth to 2018, so the past four years, including this year, the first year that of which Le'Veon Bell sat out or, or was not an active member of this team, that was the first year where we saw Antonio Brown take a significant step backwards. It was the first time he wasn't named 
first team all pro or unanimous first team all pro for that matter uh he only made second team all pro that year that's when you kind of started to see the wheels fall off the wagon and a lot of that had to do with the play of the offensive line that was when you lost mike munchak that was when ben started that was only a year before ben had his elbow surgery so at that point he was what 35 years old i mean that is not an easy age to play football and 2019 he goes down with his elbow surgery and then it kind of unraveled from there nothing really was able to to kind of revive itself on on the offensive side of the ball ever since yeah i i agree and but it, it it hasn't been able to revive itself, but it also hasn't reached this kind of a low. No, it, you're it, absolutely right. Like even out. during the Duck yeah. Mason year, it still was a better offense. You still than had splash now. plays that James Washington play against Cincinnati, yeah. nonetheless. And I, you know, this comes back to everybody's trying to find that common denominator for the problem. And I think our good friend Adam Crowley has said it right all along. The problem is everything. So trying to search for that common denominator is a little bit of a lost cause. But I think the most glaring thing is that offensive line, and you're saying even in the Duck and Mason stretches it didn't get that bad. That's because the offensive line was, although on the tail end of their dominance, still a top-five offensive line in the NFL that year. So you see what you can get with a really good offensive line. Mm. You can make Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges into 500-level quarterbacks for your team because you just control the trenches. You control the line of scrimmage. That's so key in winning football games. It's the engine of winning football teams. Uh, The Eagles, Carson Wentz, in the middle of an MVP season, goes down, Nick Foles has to come in, an adequate quarterback, and it doesn't matter because they had the best offensive line in (laughs) football that year, maybe the best offensive line we've seen in the past decade. I mean, they just moved bodies at will in Philadelphia. That is the DNA to winning football, is having an incredibly good offensive line that can control those animals in the NFL in 2021 that are trying to rush your quarterback in. Steelers just don't have it right now. And, and that's that's really the thing that's making them struggle to tread water the most is the fact that they just don't have that anchor up front. E- even one guy. A semblance of it mm-hmm. or even just a, a, an adequate offensive line for stretches at a time. It's just not been there. It hasn't. And We've all seen that next-gen stat that's been thrown out a billion times this past week of Najee Harris's inability to to get to the line of scrimmage, right? I think he's only done it like 16% of the time, whatever yeah. that, that fact is or that figure is. That is an atrociously bad number. I mean, you have what could be a, a Pro Bowl running back, an all-pro running back in your backfield, and you are completely I, – I was saying this earlier this week off-air – even though it's only been three games into his career, it kind of already feels like you're wasting his talent, that you're throwing away a part of his successful career. Jacob, I said it on Countdown to Kickoff on Wednesday. I, I was like, I really am starting to, and this is crazy, just three weeks into mm-hmm. it, worried that the Steelers might waste some prime years from Najee Harris. Not just this year, but moving forward. Just, And it's not really... Uh, me saying oh, the Steelers organization no, I say, stinks. I say even this year, even no, that's three what I'm weeks. saying. This yeah. year, next year, the year after, and I'm not saying oh, it's just the Steelers organization. They're the Browns now. No, not even close to that. It just takes a while to rebuild an offensive line, mm-hmm. and I hate to break it to you, I know that there might be some dudes there, Green, Dotson, maybe Dan Moore, 
I mean, I think if those three hit, you're actually pretty lucky, honestly. I think it's kind of a pipe dream at this point to think all three of those guys will hit for you. But even if that's the case, that's only one side. you got to rebuild the right side of the line, too. So it's a tough uphill battle to try to build this thing up on the fly. Oh, wow, you still have to find a quarterback. And for that reason, I just worry that we got some prime years of Najee Harris here that might just go to waste a little bit. I think so, too, Tom. And not only is it being wasted, but it's efficiently being wasted, which is the really frustrating part, too, because we have seen Najee Harris have more offensive snap counts than any other running back in this league through the first three weeks. And that that has to be frustrating mostly to Najee Harris because he's the one who's getting the rock more so than any other guy, regardless of veteran status or or capability, and he's getting hit behind the line so often. It, it is not even more often than not. It is if you throw a running bla- a, a running play to Najee out there, he's going to get hit behind the line of scrimmage. Most of the time. There's only been like, I seems to be a handful. I can count them on one finger or one hand. Excuse me. I, I stumbled Maybe through that. I stumbled through finger. that massively. What I was just trying to say there. It could but, be one finger. But yeah, it, it's very few and far between that the line gets enough push that he's able to get past the line of scrimmage and clean. It's, it's only because of the talent of Najee Harris that you see those big splash runs from him. It's I, because of his ability to shake off a tackle. I agree. I, I think he's honestly averaging almost a broken tackle every time he touches the ball. It feels like that. It feels like the first guy always misses, and mm. that's the sign of an elite running back in this league. And, and how great would it be if you had not not that Philly Eagles offensive line from a couple of years ago, but just a semi-decent O-line to just get him to the line of scrimmage or at least two yards ahead. You make the first guy miss. I mean, that is easily a five- or six-yard gain every single time. 19 targets in the Cincinnati Bengals game. So, uh, But here's – I'm kind of torn on it. Uh, And one part, I like it because they're not being able to get him going in the running game, so it shows a commitment from Ben in Canada to at least try to get him out into space. So I like that part of it. 19 is way too much, though. But I also think that 19 has a little bit to do with the fact that receivers just were not getting open downfield. They weren't getting any separation. I mean, that 4th and 10 swing pass, you can throw that away. We've vented about that enough. But a lot of the other checkdowns that Ben threw to Najee were just a necessary evil because none of the receivers were getting any separation against Mm -hmm. this Bengals secondary at all down the field. I mean, yeah, Ben likes to throw the ball away quickly. So are any deep routes going to be able to develop? Probably not. But Ben held on to the ball a couple times in that game. He tried to make a play and, and, and sure. weather a storm in the pocket, and there was nowhere to go but Najee on the safety valve, and that's why it racked up to 19 targets for him. So it's not like it was a game plan of the Raiders and Darren Waller against the Ravens week one where we're just throwing to, to Waller all the time. Uh, I think that there was a, a conscious effort to throw the ball to Najee Harris more than they had this year but I do not think that they wanted to have him be the offense 19 targets as far as passing offense goes. That's an absurd number, especially for a running back. We were saying how absurd it was for a tight end last week who's technically a wide receiver with Waller. They had 19 targets in week one. And now it's a running back. So it's just not a good formula for fixing the offense. I mean, again, though, I do like the fact that they're trying to get their best player the ball as much as possible out in space. I do, too, and... 
it's only because isn't that crazy? Three weeks in, he's already the best player, and I say that without any hesitation, and no one out there is rolling an eye or disagreeing with no, me. No, it's not hyperbole in no. any way. It, it is the truth, and you have to get him the ball through the passing game because you see what happens when you try to get him involved in the running game. There just is no production unless it's from the individual effort by Najee Harris to break more than one tackle. The, on the plays that you see him break out for 15, 20 yards, 10 yards, that's an individual effort. That is not due to a, a good blocking scheme or a good blocking hole created by the O-line. That is all done by Najee Harris. And you know what the frustrating thing in addition to Tom is – some of those long runs that we've seen from Najee Harris haven't even counted because guys like Trey Turner or Chooks were called for holding. Right. I mean, that, well, that's just all the undisciplined. Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin came out in the in the post game press conferences after the Oakland game, after the Vegas game, and after the Bengals game, saying those plays weren't necessarily drive killers, and they weren't. But they have to be confidence killers to Najee Harris. This guy knows how much of an effort he has to put in just to get to the line of scrimmage. So when he breaks out for 10, 15 yards, that's a good run, not just for him, but for any running back. But to have it negated, I mean, you're 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 You could see him visibly get frustrated, you're too. You're overcoming yeah. the lack of, of, of skill from your offensive line by getting that, that yard gain, and you're being told you got to walk it back 20 yards because you have to lose that 10 yards yep. you gain plus the 10 yards negated by the penalty. Yep. That has to be frustrating. No doubt, and you saw it visibly, I think, in the Bengals game, and not that he was you know, totally moaning and whining on camera, but you saw the head fall back a little bit and the hands come up. Because you saw why it wouldn't in the post-game it? press conference. He's just, his, his hand is on his, on his chin, kind of support, keeping his head up, like we also do in, in high school and middle school when we were falling asleep in class. And he's, just try, he's like kind of rubbing the side of his, of his head saying, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah, he's... he's I worry that the mental aspect of it mm -hmm. is going to start to go a little bit, and that's why I'm grateful that there's such a great head coach still at the helm here, Mike Tomlin, that he can kind of keep Najee on the right track and you know, hopefully guide the young man through what might be a pretty rocky, pretty turbulent rookie campaign for him. Mention the wide receivers, though, not being able to get open, being part of the reason why he had those 19 targets on Sunday against the Bengals. Uh, looking at the injury report, Juju Smith-Schuster with his rib injury, he is limited. That is of Thursday uh, practice. Um, Chase Claypool added to the injury report on Thursday with a hamstring injury. You hate to see a hamstring injury with a wide receiver, really anybody, but that makes you a little extra nervous when you see it with a wide receiver about his status for Sunday. He was limited as well on Thursday's practice. The good news is, though, Deontay Johnson with his knee injury was a full participant on Thursday, so hopefully he is trending in the right direction. Again, you don't want to make too many predictions just uh, a couple days away because things can change quickly in this league and they still have to go through a practice today, but I'm hoping Deontay Johnson can play because I think out of the receiving core that's been very underwhelming so far this year, he has played the best in the first three games and he has gotten open the most and he ironically has been the most sure-handed mm -hmm. because he had the biggest case of the drops last year in that group and this year he seems to be making every catch that's thrown his way including pretty some sure pretty fan and he's pretty fantastic catches too that touchdown catch against oh, buffalo incredible fantastic. concentration on that so really good year so far for deontay johnson he'd be huge to get back but how great will it be if he comes back in the lineup and two go out with claypool and and juju and 
maybe it'll just be one of those two guys that go out. But uh, as we sit here right now, and again, I said I hate to speculate, but I would bet, Jacob, that one of Juju or Claypool is out for this game. Yeah, and you have to feel again I, I how many times have i used the word frustrated it, it seems like that's how i start every single one of my sentiments it's not claypool's show. fault let me preface that but yeah it was frustrating when he popped up on the report yesterday just because it's like when it rains it pours right when did that like, ha- like where did that where come did that, from it's just exactly when and things go downhill they go downhill fast right when you think you're gaining traction by getting all of your guys back one goes down and if I had to guess, I would I would bet you that Claypool is the one that the Steelers are without on Sunday rather than Juju. Juju can play through a rib injury. Juju seems to have been working through it all week. It's more concerning when a guy pops up at the end of the week versus the beginning of the week because at least by the start of the week, you can identify the problem, rehab it as much as you can before game time, before kickoff. If it comes later in the week, you have so much less time to prepare, and the injury could be just – looming so much easier for you on that Sunday afternoon. So I if I had to guess, I would bet you that Claypool is someone who's out. But to me, it's all about having Deontay out there because we talked about how on Sunday this past week, Najee got the ball 19 times, or at least was targeted 19 times because the guys down the field were not getting open. Well, there's no better guy on this team, regardless of position, not wide receiver or running back who can create separation like Deontay Johnson. And I think yeah. you, were, you were clearly missing that key aspect of his game list this past week against the Bengals because that was one large looming criticism of the wide receiving core was that no one could get open. Plus, if you want to run the offense like you did last year where it's dink and dunk, screen passes, short routes, three yards for Ben to throw, he's the best option to mm-hmm. do that with. He's the best yards after catch guy in this receiving core, he's the guy that you want to throw a screen pass out to, not Juju, not Claypool, it's Deontay. So as far as running the offense, like it seems like they want to run it this year, which is a lot like last year. He's a huge piece to have out there for this team. Some other guys on the injury report, Chukwuma Okorafor with his concussion did not practice. Uh, Zach Banner has been practicing this week. They have not activated him from IR yet, though he has 21 days after he starts to rejoin the team with practice to be activated or else he is on IR for the rest of the season. Uh, Just hearing the vibe from fellows like Mike Prezuda, Matt Williamson last night, Steelers don't really operate by just throwing a guy back in there after missing a couple Mm -hmm. weeks, so might not see Zach Banner get a helmet and be active on Sunday against Green Bay. In case you're needed. That's a problem again, though, because of Chooks and that did not practice with a concussion again. Now, concussions, you can get cleared tomorrow. You can get cleared Saturday with those things. They're so weird, and he could be available, but you just never know, uh, again, with head injuries. So Chooks' status up in the air, that'll be a tough hill to climb. Uh, Defensive side of the ball, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, T.J. Watt, how crucial he is for this defense. Uh, He was a full participant on Thursday's practice with that groin injury, like I said in the beginning of this sewed he is trending towards playing on sunday so we're hopeful there his partner in crime or at least one of his partners in crime alex highsmith was limited again on thursday so that's the one you little worry about his status for play on sunday i just hope they get that trio back man that's that's the key is the ingram watt and highsmith trio Uh, those are are the guys that can wreck a game and pull off an upset like this. And I I think you need all three pieces of the formula. 
not just the most important one. And I, I'm, I'm not optimistic about Highsmith like I am Watt. Sure. TJ is, without a doubt, the most important piece. Yes. But that unit is at its peak production. It's the best unit on the all, team. When it's all three. It's the best unit on the team. It is. Yeah, I'd say. With two I, it being out. With two a, it being one, out. Okay, yeah. well, that's fair. And especially with Tyson Alawala right. being out for the entire year. But right. when healthy, it's 1A, 1B between those two. And with TJ being back, that's definitely going to be a boost for that unit. But still, you love to see when all three guys are potentially on the field together or you're just one play in, it's Melvin. One, the next play out, it's it's Alex Highsmith. I mean – that that is so beneficial to those two two guys and I'm speaking of Alex Highsmith and Melvin Ingram because we saw what Melvin Ingram was capable of doing or I guess not capable of doing on his own this past week against Cincinnati when he was only one of three guys out there for the for the edge rushers I think he can still have a decent day as the official Robin to TJ's Batman it's just you you really know how good this unit can be when all three guys are available to you. So we'll we'll see what it's like when it's only TJ and one of the uh, other two guys out there. Yeah, and again, like I, I said at the beginning of this episode, if you're gonna have any chance to beat Aaron Rodgers, it's gotta be with that pass rush. Uh, a couple guys that I think we need to see be better. And we can get into this in a later episode uh, we do today. But Schobert and Bush in the middle of that defense, mm. I, I think they're going to have their hands full. And I think that Steelers Nation craves and the coaching staff craves a higher level of play from both of them. But I think especially number 55, I think it's time to really kick it in gear there. Yeah. Uh, we see all... guys like Roquan Smith and Devin White. You know, those are the class that you thought Bush would keep. And those guys are really hitting their stride in Chicago and Tampa Bay. Mm. And you just aren't seeing that gear getting hit with uh, Granted, with Bush yet. Bush had a season-ending injury. That he did last year, of, of course. Had, so. And you know what? Devin White, he's got a pretty good PIC in, in Tampa with Shaq Barrett. Not just there. a PIC. Yeah. I mean, that whole defense is also healthy. Yeah. That, that whole defense retained every single starter they had from 2020. So the the gel is there, the continuity is there, and, and the health is there. So... It's not all on Devin White's plate like it, it does seem to be for Devin Bush. Uh, Matt Williamson and, and Dale Lawley were saying yesterday on the drive that they think this could be the game where Devin Bush kind of reestablishes himself as one of the mo- one of the better younger inside linebackers in this league when he faces up most likely against Aaron Jones. They think they can he can do him and Joe Schobert, the combination of the two, can do a good job of containing him, kind of negating his productivity through the pass game because we know kind of like Najee Harris and other versatile running backs Aaron Jones is as good as it gets when it comes to being involved in both the running game and the passing game and they believe Devin Bush is fast enough and a good enough tackler to kind of take away that aspect of his game yeah and he's got to be I mean he's got to flash that speed he's got to kind of get to that Ryan Shazier-esque level that the Steelers traded up to pick him to Mm -hmm. become and like I said you just you really have not seen that stride taken yet from Devin Bush. Maybe you do on Sunday against the Packers. Maybe he uses the national stage, the game of the week, to break out for uh, his career. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Like I said, on a later episode we will do, we will discuss the Packers' matchups with the Steelers in depth. So make sure you tune in 
to that one as well. For Jacob Brecht, I am Tom Opperman. Thanks, as always, for giving us a listen, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Steelers Standard.